0: Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gauthier. Welcome to another episode I'm here live at the 2022 AADE Fluids Conference with David Rathgeber, PhD candidate and SPE student chapter president at Montana Tech University. David, welcome to the show and welcome to the conference.
1: I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. No. So, I mean, so far, what do you think of the conference? Has he been having a good time or what?
1: I rolled into the hotel at about 1 a.m. last night. so. Oh, boy. Still trying to get myself situated, but really enjoyed the opening keynote. Got a chance to hear that.
0: Okay. Who was the opening keynote? Because I know there was Richard Spears, but then before that, Neil Trotter from Chevron and someone else, right?
1: Yeah. It was just kind of an introduction, but Richard Spears was really good.
0: Awesome. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar, Richard Spears, he's out of Oklahoma and him and his brother, they used to have a podcast called The Drill Down, but they just come out with great information on market news, Just a great resource if you're a company out there who's looking to subscribe to a lot of their publications, a lot of their reports. They dive deep into the data. But anyway, yeah, just a great group here. And it's cool to have someone like him come and speak at the Fluids Conference. Because, you know, while Fluids touches just about everything in oil and gas, it's a relatively small piece of the pie. So for someone like him to come down, it's pretty cool. So is this your first time at the AD Fluids Conference,
1: David? No, I think... 2018, when it was here in Houston, when it was the fluids Conference, I attended as a master's student in petroleum engineering, gave a student presentation, nice. and then I was at the Denver overall AAD conference in 2019, just before everything kind of went to hell.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know, so as I'd mentioned when I made the introduction, you're a PhD candidate at the Montana Tech, and you're also a master's. Is it Master's of Science in Petroleum Engineering? Is that what you also have? Yeah. Yeah. So I've
1: been going to school for too long at this point. Okay. But no,
0: that's cool. You know, we need academics and people like yourself to really dive deep into a lot of the research because it's, you know, after getting my graduate degree, I realized that there's oftentimes there's two camps. There's a camp that's like, oh, you don't need to go to school and academia, this, that, and the other. But the truth of the matter is, is. Oftentimes, a lot of the great ideas and research that comes out of academia really spurs innovation in the real world. And I have a new appreciation for academics and research students and folks that dedicate their lives to research. I think it's fascinating. And to have that level of discipline to just learn more, study more, read more, write more, it takes a certain person. And so I actually really commend you for that.
1: Thank you. I mean... I started out in the industry. I started out to encase to a wire line as an operator for just under two years and then switched over to drilling rigs, did drilling for just under four years and you know I fell in love with the industry, but you know, being stuck in the field all the time wasn't ideal, wanted a little bit more stability. You know, going to school was number one on my list. I remember the exact moment I love to tell the story where it was I grew up in Canada, so yeah. I was on a single drilling rig. Just outside of Drumheller. You know, oh, right? yeah. Yeah, and 2 in the morning, Saturday night, minus 40. That goes either way. Celsius Fahrenheit for anybody. <laughs> it's it cold confused, as hell. It's regardless. cold as hell, plus wind chill, <laughs> and just being stuck up in the derrick. Oh, Pulling buddy. back, you know, collars and thinking... In the back of my head, my parents just saying, So, it's nothing more important than a good education. <laughs> and it's like, Yep, this is kind of what they're referencing. Damn so, it, you're right, Yeah. So, that set of days <laughs> off, I applied for seats, to get my petroleum engineering technologist diploma nice. with the intention to go down to tech and complete my bachelor's degree and play hockey. Nice. And then, yeah, I graduated in December 2016. And, you know, the industry kind of took a real bit of a downturn at that point. So, that in conjunction with my fiance at the time, we were expecting our daughter in May of 2017. So the opportunity arose to stick around for a master's degree in petroleum engineering. So nice gave us two more years of stability, got that degree and that degree led into my PhD research at this point. Wow. Well,
0: I want to dive into that because I'm sure it's fascinating. I just kind of want to take a quick pivot before we continue down that path. But I want to thank you for all the support that you've had. And especially, you know, the relationship that we've built, again, over social media, the power of LinkedIn, but yeah, I'm just, it's very humbling to have someone like yourself engage with the content, asking good questions, and supporting the flow line. So, on behalf of myself, AES, and the flow line, you know, really appreciate that because it's someone like yourself that can then pass on the information to students. Ultimately, it's all about the next generation, right? Yes. And, and it's educating people who otherwise don't get to have the conversations with either myself, Matt Offenbacher, and even yourself. And there's just so many talented people in our industry, and more people need to hear the conversations that we have on a day-to-day basis. And so by you, you know, making the effort to make a connection on LinkedIn, here we are having a great conversation and hopefully adding value for the audience. So again, thank you for that.
1: Um, you're welcome. I mean, this industry is made up about networking and getting the word around. And I learned that early on, even at State. And it's mutually beneficial. I mean, you guys have been so helpful with me, with research. If you have any school events, you might be looking for sponsorship. US has always been good. Yeah. You, know, you guys offered to source up some fluids for a side project that I was doing where we were looking to convert our on-campus multi-phase flow loop to a synthetic fluid. You guys were really helpful at that and directed ah. me all around. So, yeah, no, it's been a great working relationship with you guys. EAS. Awesome.
0: No, that's really cool. It's Montana Tech, while I never went there, has a little, you know, a special place in my heart because like you, I went to SAIT and then I elected, you know, I was so eager to get back to work, start making money. I was, you know, one of the few that didn't end up going to either Montana Tech, Wyoming. I think a couple of guys went to a university of Texas, but there's so many people within my close network that I graduated say with that went to Montana Tech. So I feel like I'm somewhat, I'm tied to it at arm's length. A good buddy of mine, John Giesbrick, he went there. And so, anytime there's a Montana Tech event, he's there, you know, helping out. And I always tell him, man, look, like, if I can help, please let me know. And so, anytime I can kind of get involved with the Montana Tech and weave myself into the culture and then any initiatives that they have, I try to do it because there's just so many Canadians that go there. So, naturally, I have to support it. You know what yeah, I mean? It's yeah. like, it's like the border kind of gets a little thicker around Butte and it just, it's like part of Canada. I it, feel like it
1: really is. I mean, Alberta just kind of blends into Montana at that point. So
0: yeah. And
1: John just got married.
0: Yeah. That's I saw exciting. that on
1: LinkedIn. Yeah. Of course.
0: Oh, he's such a beauty and his wife and I'm drawing a blank and I apologize, John, if you're listening, but we went out for dinner with them. My wife and I went out for dinner with them probably about a month ago and we just had such a great conversation and they're so good with each other. They're both adventurous and just, they're such good people. And yeah, I love him to death. So, good big congratulations to the Geese Break.
1: Yeah, for sure. I get to see him this week. Actually, he's coming up, running our technical symposium. That's right, right after this conference. So he's he's planning on coming up, and then he's bringing his his brand new wife up for the Friday night socials. Looking forward to seeing
0: him. So, tell the listeners that aren't familiar with the symposium because I've heard it's a blast.
1: It is. So this will be the twenty seventh year of our technical symposium, put on by the petroleum department. It engages industry. You know, primarily alumni, but it's open to just about everybody, you know, even unofficial alumni, <laughs> if you want to call yourself that, yeah. and then current students, and it's two days of technical talks, there's a banquet dinner, there's a social where everyone can gather, so in the past, we've kind of bounced those days. The banquet dinner is going to be on Thursday night, and the social is on Friday night, and then we would kind of kick it all off, weather you know, permitting, we've always done a golf tournament, kind of a scramble-style golf tournament oh, on nice. Saturdays, so... Uh, yeah. and there's a couple of really nice golf courses out there. Uh, yeah. We've done it at Old Works, which is a Jack Nicklaus-designed course, really cool. It's got like slag bunkers. Or the Fairmont Hot Springs Resort has a golf course. That's where we're doing it this year. So nice. So it's a really, really good, you know, educational and networking event. It's been going on for about 27 years. Now.
0: That's cool. I got invited to it. I think the year before COVID hit, and yeah, no, I remember it, it was like December. 2019, right before Christmas, and one of my buddies from ConocoPhillips, who's a graduate there, was like, Man, you should come up to the Montana Tech Symposium. Like, there's gonna be a bunch of Canadians, blah, blah. I was set up to do it, but then COVID hit, and I, you know, obviously then things changed. But I really would love to make a point of doing it at one point, one year, come up there and just network with all the fantastic folks at Montana Tech and all the alumni that, you know, because there's a ton down here that I've met over the years. And kind of fun fact, I think. And you may be able to fact check on these, but isn't the CEO, Ryan Lance, isn't he a Montana Tech grad? He is, yeah. Yeah. And arguably one of the most well sought after CEOs in the industry. The company in itself has just done absolutely phenomenal. They're a great company. You know, I did a lot of research on ConocoPhillips through grad school. I kind of used them as one of my companies for research on mm-hmm. a number of topics. Just the more I dove into what they're doing and, you know, everything about it. So anyway again, led by a Montana Tech grad. So, yep. you know, again, like just uh, another feather in the cap there for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll make sure to harass you next year. You know, this, I'm down. Let's go. Yeah. This symposium <laughs> is is put on primarily by the, the SBE student officer club. So they're in charge of kind of organizing everything every year. So I'm the incoming president here for the 2022, 2023. Congrats. Thank you. I've been very helpful. I helped out the current officer committee quite a bit. I mean. When I came from SAIT, I was an international liaison officer for the club for my undergrad years. So, you know, I learned the ropes. I understand the annual workings of the club every year. And with COVID, when it hit and everything shut down, the club kind of went stagnant. Couldn't run any events. A lot got lost in translation. So this is the first year back up and running. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to help the club out, you know, with my past experience, you know, get things back to where they need to be and, I think this is going to be a really good symposium this year. So Awesome. Forward to it. It's yeah. always a scramble to the finish line. We're still kind of oh, getting late sure. registrations and <laughs> scrambling to print last name, and name tags. And
0: oh, so. all the fun stuff. And that's the stuff that people don't think about, you know, when it comes to events is just how much effort and time it takes to put into like, you may work on it for like six months leading up to it, but then it's just two days of, just like somehow the magic happens.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's always a scramble like that. The Wednesday <laughs> nights, all the officers usually get together because we've got all the name tags printed and there's stuff with name tags into tags and organizing polos and jackets and hats and everything that's got an order that goes along with it. And yeah, so it I can makes imagine. It worth it though, so. Well,
0: I'm looking forward to seeing some stuff on LinkedIn and some content produced from it and just hearing from folks that have attended. So David, I'm really curious, you know, again, want to pivot here a little bit, being a PhD student, Describe what it is that you're studying and kind of the journey through, you know, the PhD lifestyle.
1: For sure. So to kind of encapsulate it all, I'm doing computational fluid dynamics modeling, so CFD modeling of the effect of drill pipe rotation on cuttings transport in 12 and a quarter inch ID horizontal holes. So these are kind of very often seen as tangent sections in extended reach wells where you've got a really oversized intermediate section which ends up having an exacerbated, enlarged flow channel area. I mean, you run into a lot of issues in these larger holes in cuttings transport because you may not be able to keep the flow rates up to get that bulk linear velocity that you need to clean the hole well. Right. A lot of different issues that come with it. And on top of it all, this kind of stemmed from you know my initial master's research you know, the industry recognizes, you know, there's kind of a step change. So something happens around 120 or 180 RPMs, where in these particular circumstances, you know, you see a sudden uptick in cuttings in whole cleanings efficiency. So, you know, if you're standing by the shakers and you're spinning at 70, 80, 90 RPM, you're getting cuttings come out. But as soon as you kind of get into that 120 RPM range, all of a sudden, you know, cuttings just start piling out. And this only really happens in bigger holes. So pipe to hole area ratio, above 3.25. Yeah. So this is something that you know hasn't been experimentally recreated in a lab setting and it's not really the specific focus of a lot of CFD modeling. So modeling an experimental you know, study of cuttings transport in these situations is it's nothing new. You know, University of Tulsa has a a great flow loop. There's a lot of flow loops and a lot of CFD modeling that go into this but no one's kind of dialed in on what's causing that step change. Uh, a lot of theories behind it. But again, it hasn't been studied specifically. There's no purpose-built flow loop for it. So my master's in petroleum engineering actually was to put together a proposal for design as well. Wow! So I've got you know the proposal on paper, just waiting for a company to, you know, fork with cash if they want to build their own flow loop on campus, which would be pretty awesome.
0: No kidding. I'm surprised no one's. Well, granted, times have been a little tough lately, but I mean, the next few years may present serious opportunity with the amount of hopefully new investment that comes in and just emphasis on you know doing things better yes um, exactly and I mean,
1: yeah okay so yeah i mean like i started this from 2017 to 2019 and again you know a lot of companies seem they're very interested in the idea the research has definitely peaked a lot of companies minds but you know with how the industry has been transitioning and you know, reorganizing yeah the funding necessarily to build something like this hasn't been there yet
0: so That's really interesting. I have a few questions. The first one that actually gets, you know, I have a question related specifically to the research in itself. What made you decide to pick that topic and even more specifically, you know, that whole size? Is it because when you're doing a research paper, you you need to be really niche to really dive into something very, you need to be very narrow. Is that why?
1: To an extent, yes, the scope. So, like I said, with my prior field experience, you know, I focused, I did a little bit of completions and then I jumped over to drilling and I fell in love with drilling. So, you know, drilling is kind of my jam, and that's where, you know, it's where my passion is. So when the opportunity came up, Dr. Lee Richards, my advisor, and Brandon Foster, formerly at and m Technology, and now he runs TD Unlimited. Yeah. Yeah, so he ended up, you know, we all kind of brainstormed and, and discussed this idea. You know, what's causing this step change? You know, K&M has been a, basically a leading voice in identifying the step change and talking about it. Yeah. So, you know, that's where that, that flow loop idea, purposeful flow loop idea came to light, and I jumped on board. I love the idea. Right. right? Being able to influence, you know, especially in the extended reach settings. So 12-and-a-quarter-inch ID, you know, it's not necessarily a, a production hole, but especially in, in ERD, these tangent sections can be like six miles away. And so you've got a 12 and a quarter inch id hole that's stretching horizontally for miles or super high angle and that's where you run into a lot of hole cleaning so Mm. so it's not as much you know a domestic crux because you're not seeing these these long large hole diameters but you do see it's an extended reach is kind of generally where the future of drilling is going you're seeing longer and longer laterals Right. And then when you have hole cleaning issues on an extended reach, well, you know, the risk is exponentially multiplied. Yes. So, I mean, you're spending so much more every day and something goes wrong halfway down or three quarters of the way down. You know, it's, it's a lot more expensive. Yeah.
0: No, it is. In I mean, it's not apples to apples, but, you know, talking about extended reach drilling. And here in the U.S., arguably, we don't do that much of it. Unconventionals up in the Northeast... A lot of companies are drilling two and three mile laterals, sometimes even more, which is, you know, fascinating. And like I think there's been some, you know, we had a gentleman on, I think Steven Seagrest, if I remember correctly. Anyway, a drilling engineer who drilled one of the longest laterals up in the northeast. And I think it was like a twenty thousand foot lateral. And they're doing that, you know, kind of, you know, SOP now a lot of times. And have you dove into like looking at any of that stuff to gather up at least data or or information to help support yours or or is it because it's not really because a lot of that i think is either six and three quarters or eight and three quarters but definitely not 12 and a quarter which the game changes completely once you get that big because you're i would assume your drill pipe that you're you know either modeling or looking at is five inch five five and a half half. yeah Yeah, so yeah
1: so that ratio becomes bigger and anything below, you know, the pipe to hole area ratio that's, you know, through that 3.25 number, it's a lot more of a linear climb. So the faster you rotate the pipe, it just kind of increases. There's not that big jump. And the biggest issue over, you know, these last what, five years now, four years now in doing this research is, you know, the data isn't necessarily out there. So trying to collect, you know, tangible data as to what cuttings are coming out of the hole is still a brand new technology yeah you can roughly estimate it even in terms of research papers there's not much that talks about it outside of you know what's been done on experimental flow loops and again these flow loops don't have they don't replicate a large diameter hole
0: right no that makes total sense so where are you at with your research? And at what point are you going to kind of cross the finish line? Like, what does that look like? Because again, like, and I don't know if that, if there's even an answer to that, but again, as someone who is not, you know, doing their PhD, I'm curious, like at what point do you say, okay, here it is ready for publication or what does that look like?
1: So my slated graduation completion date is May of next year. We'll see how it goes. This conference I'm actually presenting on the preliminary single phase fluid results that I've come up with Mm. where I'm just excuse me, identifying the effects of flow channel development and what, how drill pipe affects that. So it's still in single phase model. And now, you know, since getting this paper kind of put together and, and published and presenting here, i have fine tuning it. So, you know, uh, my initial research was, you know, adjusting the eccentricity of the pipe. So concentric pipe right in the middle, one kind of resting near the bottom, and then one kind of offsets to simulate kind of that pipe walk when you're rotating at high speeds. Right, And I did it at 0, 60, 120, and 180 RPM to see how those flow channels and how velocities change based on how fast you spin in that pipe. And since then, I've kind of focused, kind of narrowed the scope between, I'm kind of checking between 100 and 140 RPM to kind of dial and see, because there is a significant, there's a flow regime change that happens between 60 and 120 RPM, and even 90 and 120 RPM, where you know, up until those higher RPMs, your flow is still, pri- you know, primarily actually dominant. So it's still going straight down the wellboard. You see some shifts in your fluid channel, which is expected. But, you know, in the modeling end of things, once you start to get 120 RPM, you start to see some differences between, you know, absolute flow, regardless of what direction it's flowing. It could be just causing some turbulent flow and what's going straight down the wellboard, which is what's carrying your cuttings out. Right. So I'm trying to focus on dialing that back in. And then once I kind of get those you know, finished, those simulations kind of evaluated, then the next step is going to be switching to multi-phase. Ah. So that's where things get time consuming. I say. So multi flow modeling is incredibly computationally extensive. So cool. luckily for me, I'm a PhD in material science and engineering, and it's a joint degree between Montana State University and Bozeman and Montana tech. So wow. MSU has a great supercomputer, cluster computer that is capable of doing these simulations. So when I'm ready to make that jump over to the multi phase, I'll be able to use at least theirs.
0: Right. No, that's super cool. So I'm curious with all the research that you've done, have you come across anything that has sort of altered or changed a core belief that you had prior to research or anything that kinda of has surprised you to really make you kind of think through a different lens?
1: Not entirely, and that's a good thing in terms of, you know, my model and how it goes. You know, it's the single phase model is doing more or less what I expect it should be doing, you know, how it affects that flow channel. I was surprised at how much the drill pipe rotation affects where that flow channel sits. Ah. But, you know, overall, it seems to match up with, you know, it's leading me to believe that we're on the right track. Cool. So it's definitely kind of broadened. It's opened up the doors to a couple other things I want to look at, too. You know, that pipe-to-pole area ratio, it's, it seems to be fairly standard-defined at 3.25. You know, I want to run some simulations to see if that number is accurate. Right? Uh, ah, yeah. So I'm going to run some at least single-phase models where I change the size of my well bore to match what's commonly seen in the industry and see if... You know, you say you can actually separate big hole from small hole based on this number. Right. To see if there is some, you know, tangible flow regime differences between the two.
0: Gotcha. So, with all that being said, obviously, you know, within this type of research, you have to create boundaries because you could just keep going down rabbit holes forever and ever and ever. So, with the boundaries that you've created, obviously you're going to work within those. But what would you say if you were to pass this on to, you know, upcoming researchers, what would be sort of the next? you know, evolution of the research, like what would be the next step, do you think, once you kind of perhaps pass the baton?
1: Yeah, the huge asset to this is once this model framework is built, it can be used and tweaked and modified for a myriad of different things. I mean, one thing right now, that drill pipe rotation is just rotating on its axis. So if you want to see how it moves, if you kind of create a wobble or some sort of sinusoidal action to see if that has an effect on cuttings, basically, you know, increase the complexity of the model within the realms. The biggest hope here is, at least with this, the computational fluid dynamics, is we get an idea of and we can see that flow regime change developing and then start tweaking parameters to see if we can recreate it at lower RPM. Because I mean, if, if everybody could rotate at 180 RPM or 120 RPM all the time, they would. But a lot of the times, you know. Equipment restrictions. There's a lot of things that prevent us from doing that. Yeah. So, especially in large holes. So if we can create that efficiency at a lower RPM through, you know, equipment modifications or something like that. So, so the goal would, for this is if we can identify, you know, at least reasonably what's going on at those RPMs. Next step would be to take that baton and have someone start trying to shift, you know, that efficiency, that step change to a lower RPM.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Makes sense. So when David's not, you know, diving into research and, you know, trying to solve the world's drilling problems, what do you do for fun, man? What do you do to try and sort of disengage and disconnect and sort of recharge? We got
1: three kids. Okay. So recharging might not be the best (laughs) word for it, but three kids and three dogs. Holy smokes, man. So, yeah, in terms of... You
0: have one nostril above water at all times. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I try and play hockey when I can. Like I said, when I came to Tech... I played hockey. I'm a goalie. Ah, nice. Yeah. Okay. Big so. shout
0: out to the goalies out there. We're <laughs> always trying to find them for hack and whack. I
1: bet. So, you know, I played growing up and then I quit until I went back to school and I started playing intramural hockey at and then Nice. Tech One of the reasons I went to Tech was just a hockey program and I could just walk on to play with them. So when I get the chance, I'll strap on the pads or I'll go do some draft tournaments that I can find in and around. U.S. and Canada. Yeah, golf occasionally okay. when I when I get the moment and yeah. hack off for just like ninety nine percent of people out there. But hey, that's
0: we do it to have fun, not to make money.
1: Exactly. So our oldest, he's he's fifteen now. He got into golf a couple of years ago. Ah, so cool. We get to go out with that. Yeah, it's just being a shuttle for the kids for a lot of things. Our youngest, <laughs> Man, I know. she's turning five here. It's hard to believe. Uh, she's turning five in May fourth. Okay. She's a Star Wars baby yeah so, nice but she does dance two days a week so take care of that yeah and then our middle child's you know, he he's he swimming he, we get them involved in as much as, as they want to do so. yeah
0: no that's important man it's all about the kids well this has been fantastic david is there anything else that you'd like to share whether it's with montana tech any other initiatives that you guys have And with that comment, I want to ask you too. You know, right now, the oil and gas industry, amongst many industries, struggles with talent and there's labor shortages everywhere. But in oil and gas, it it seems to me, just through observation, that the amount of people entering petroleum engineering and specifically trying to get into oil and gas is slowly, you know, the numbers aren't quite there to meet the demand of our workforce in the upcoming years. So, what would you say for Montana Tech? I mean, give a speech or, you know, just a pitch on, hey, if you're interested, here's why you should come to Montana Tech, and here's what to expect, and here's why Montana Tech Petroleum Engineering is a great program if you're, you know, wondering where to take your career.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, if I had to, you know, plug Montana Tech, I mean, it's a great place. It's for a student. It's cheap, cost of living. The education you're going to get there is second to none. You know, the quality of the instructors, it's a small campus, tight-knit community, and that goes beyond just the campus too. I mean, the Montana Tech alumni everywhere in the oil and gas industry internationally, and they're generally highly regarded for their education and technical experience that they get. You know, I've enjoyed my time there immensely. And like I said, the quality of education is good. The class sizes are small enough that you can really get you know personal education from each one of those instructors. You know. Everyone has an open-door policy. Yeah. Uh, I just recently, I taught my first class full-time this semester. Oh, nice. Congrats. Um, And I kind of, you know, take on that open-door policy, too. You know, it's very helpful so you don't get lost in the weeds. And the nice thing is, you know, it's practical instruction. So everyone's up-to-date on what's going on all the time. Yeah, that's Um, important. We run, like I said, the symposium's a great example. You know, every year we run this technical symposium. We get you know, quality speakers and great networking opportunities. Shauna Noonan uh, from Oxy, former SPE international president, is going to be our doing our open keynote this year. Oh, very cool.
0: Yeah, that's a big player.
1: Yeah. So with COVID, how it's been over the last years, it's been tough. The whole industry recognizes that. I mean, you know, enrollment in petroleum engineering across the board has been down everywhere. But if there's anything, you know, with recent global events, showing that, you know, the need for petroleum engineering is not going to come up anytime right. soon. And we're a really unique breed of engineers, you know, you know, unlike mechanical or electrical, where you can see what you're doing and you can run tests, you know, test-breaking limits of metal and, and materials. You know, petroleum engineering, it's, we're trying to put together a picture with, you know, an incomplete set of puzzle pieces. <laughs> That's a good so, point, yeah. So, you know our job is to find as many puzzle pieces as we can yeah and it's really unique really rewarding and it's you know it's not going to go anywhere anytime soon so the yeah. it's just going to keep going up, and up, and up
0: perfect well no and with that said a big shout out to montana tech and everyone involved with that team and the symposium good luck there for the listeners out there please connect with david over linkedin i'll put his link in the show notes and again if you like the show Please subscribe, leave a review, share it. And if you have any questions, hit us up on LinkedIn. We'd be happy to chat. Everyone, have a great day. Thanks again. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take
1: the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.